Aren't you glad you worked your way through the ice and the snow and you went through that mental debate, should we or shouldn't we? And oh, we could have missed that. I, n- I never tire. Uh, this is, I say to Kendra all the time, this is the best wet I am all year long. It's the waters of baptism wet. Because as you got to see uh, the faces and the images, and there's a story behind every life. And I hope those of you who've been a part of this journey for these lives, I hope you feel a sense of just how God's work through his body and each one of them to be reminded as they looked out at all of you as a body, they are not alone in this journey. So I don't know what's brought you into the doors of Eagle today, uh, perhaps as an invitation of one of those in the tank, but I wanna spend a few minutes reflecting on what it means to be a disciple, which is what we just witnessed, we saw 18 disciples go into the waters of baptism. Why? Because they're basically saying they're going to do life Jesus' way. That's what a disciple, that's what the word means, learner. Everybody's got to learn how to live from somebody. I choose Jesus because I think he's the wisest and the best. Like he's just not right about the big things, heaven and hell and sin and salvation. He's right about everything. Jesus knows how to build a marriage, Jesus knows how to parent, Jesus knows about money, Jesus knows about purpose and meaning, he's just right about everything, so I choose Jesus. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to enter his school of living and say, hey Jesus, teach me how to live. 18 people before us today saying they want Jesus to teach them how to live. And uh, that invitation isn't just exclusive for those 18, and I thought what we'd do is reflect out of Joshua 24. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Joshua 24. And I thought what we'd do is reflect a little bit on the role of choices and wisdom. There's a link between choices and a life the Bible calls wisdom. If you haven't pulled out your notes yet, you were handed on the way in the door, there's a note sheet that might help you follow along or you can fire up the app and you can uh, find, find those electronically on the app there, the bulletin notes. At the top of your note sheet, Dallas Willard says it this way. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. Follow this now. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. Anybody been there? So you have this intention about to do what is right, but then the rub comes as you meet Jesus. You say, I want to go Jesus' way. Then there has to be a new lifestyle developed that moves you in the direction through your choices to what the Bible calls a life of wisdom. And there was a man named Joshua who was a significant leader to God's people at a time when the people of God were trying to enter into the promised land. The backdrop of Joshua's life is he received the baton from Moses. So Moses led the Israelites up to the edge of the promised land. But one of the most difficult parts of Moses' journey had to be when he got to the edge of the promised land, having received the original promise from the Lord that that's where they would plant themselves, and he didn't get to lead them into the promised land. So if you've ever been in that place where you feel like the Lord has led you up to the edge of something but didn't allow you to experience the full measure of it, Moses is a good companion. Because Moses exits the scene, the Lord takes him home, and the mantle of the baton is passed to Joshua. And in this story we're reading now, we're at Joshua's retirement party. He's 110. He's had a tough 110-year run. The last 30 years of his life have been spent leading the people of God from the edge of the promised land 
to inherit and take possession the promised land. That's what Joshua did from age 80 to age 110. So those of you who are getting a little bit longer in years, I commend to you Joshua for perhaps how you want to handle your retirement. Because Joshua's giving you this picture is you're just moving into your most productive decades of your life as you move along in the decades of your life. So he himself, when he gets to 80, that's go time. That's a little bit different culturally than we have going on today. But I want to encourage those of you, 60s, 70s, and 80s can become the most fruitful and productive and spirit-filled decades of your life. We say around here we're a church about discipleship, missions, and next gen. Do you know the generations? It's an intergenerational ministry. A big part of what's gone on for these lives before us today are several of you in your 60s, 70s, and 80s pouring out and investing in these lives. That's how this happens. So there's things for us to do. Joshua's a great picture of making choices that lead to a life of wisdom, even when he hit the category that maybe most of us would think, hey, when you get to your 80s, you just kind of head off to the Gulf of Mexico and collect seashells. That's not the picture the Bible gives of what it means to run the race all the way to the end. Joshua was handed the baton and led the people of God for 30 years to take possession, and they weren't the most welcoming community in the promised land, as we will read. So he's gathered his retirement party. He's about to move on. He knows the Lord's about to take him home, and he's imparting what I want to leave us with is three pathways to wisdom under the banner of choices from the life of Joshua. Look at Joshua 24, verse 1. Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. Now, this past summer, I got to go near the area of Shechem. I didn't get to actually go in the town. It's 20 miles north of Jerusalem. It's a population of about 20,000 today. It's in what's known as the modern-day West Bank territory. So if you look at a geography of Israel today, you'll see a little dotted line around the West Bank. Shechem is right in the middle of that territory, just north of Jerusalem. So that's where they're gathered. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So verse 2, here's his kind of opening words. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshiped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river. Notice capital R. When you see that in the Old Testament, it's referring to the, the massive body of water known as the Euphrates River. I took beyond the river and led them throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Now, right there, you can put in the margin of your Bible, like verse 2 through verse 4, that's like a one-paragraph summary of Genesis 12 to Genesis 50. Joshua just gave him a little synopsis of the Genesis storyline from the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12 to the time when now the transition. Now, here's where the book of Exodus picks up, verse 5. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. You came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. So in the margin of your Bible there, you could just put Exodus like 1 through 16. It's like the first half of the book of Exodus. So there you go. In the matter of a paragraph and a half, 
you just got the a bulk of the book of Genesis and the front half of Exodus. And some of you are like, well, that was a whole lot easier to read that than it is the other. But there's a little summary from Joshua. Do you see why it's important to build sacred history with the people? Do you see what he's reminding them of? I've, I underlined in my Bible all the times he used these words. Look at verse three. I took, I gave. Verse four, I assigned. Verse five, I sent, I afflicted, I brought. So what's the... What's Joshua reminding the people of? I think this is the first kind of choice he's making on the pathway of wisdom. Do you see? What's the I representing there in the whole storyline? It's representing God's work in God's way. So I worded it this way. Wisdom, it traces the footprints of God through our lives. It was G.K. Chesterton who said it this way, and I think I put the quote in your notes. If there were no God, there would be no atheists. Now, I'm going to say that again. Some of you are looking at me like, what? Listen to that. G.K. Chesterton said, if there were no God, there would be no atheists. The concept of atheism has a starting point. Theism. God is the great beginner from which everything gets its beginning. And so here's Joshua saying, hey, he's getting his group together, and he's pointing them on a path of wisdom, and he's saying, hey, gang, don't forget this. Remember, God created you, origin. God has plans and purposes for you, meaning. God sets up the fences, morality. God's the one who holds eternity in his hands, destiny. Origin, meaning, morality, destiny. It's all rooted in this, God. God's the great beginning from which everything gets, get the very great beginner from which everything gets its beginning. And so he's saying, hey, you gotta stay rooted right there. The starting point for understanding who you are and why you're here in life is the opening words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. There's a reason the Bible started that way. Because you get your, your baseline, your anchor, then to move out and begin to understand everything else in life from those opening words. If you really want to understand who you are, you don't start with yourself because who's created in whose image? God said, I created you in my image. So to get to know who you are, do you know where the starting point is? Get to know who God is. Get to know the God who gave you life and the Savior who gave you grace and the Spirit that filled your life. Get to know him. Throw yourself wholeheartedly into God. And that's the basis for healthy self-knowledge and self-understanding. You start with God. From origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, you trace the footprints of God in your life. And Joshua says, that's called the path of wisdom. He wants him to grow up and be wise. There's an alternative to the word in the Bible for wisdom. Do you know what Proverbs uses for that? If you choose not to go the way of wisdom, what does Proverbs call that way? Foolishness. So God's given us a free will. We can choose. We can make the starting point ourselves. The Bible would just say that would be foolish, Simpson, to do that. To start with you is foolish. To start with God is wisdom. And that's what Joshua begins. Hey, remember, who got you out of the promised land in the first place? Who parted the Red Sea? Who drove out the ites? Who protected? Who provided? Who gave the covenant? Joshua says God did all, all along the way. You trace his footprints. And gang, 18 lives here before us today. Do you know what part of the testimony is? Maybe you've come through a week or the beginning of 2018 and you've, where is God and what is he up to? Do you know what these lives remind him? God is personal. He's active. He's present. He's near. He's at work. I know for me, I just need to open up my eyes again and look around and see God is the great beginner from which everything 
gets its beginning. That's a base of wisdom. Joshua builds on it now. Jump down to verse 11, second kind of principle of wisdom from his farewell speech. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. Now, what's significant happened to Jericho? You can write in your Bible there. You can write Joshua chapter 6 if you want to read it. This is where Jericho was like a fortress. It was a massively guarded city covered with thick and steep and high walls. And he's reminding them, you walked up to Jericho, and how did you get into that city? God caused the walls to come down. Not through the normal weapons that we would think, through trumpets and worship. That's not your number one military strategy today when you're going to go in and take a land. But God said, I want the worship leaders. I want the trumpet players. It'd be like this. It'd be like you coming up here and say, hey, I want the worship team. You're going out ahead. You're leading the army. And you're going to proclaim the greatness of Yahweh's name. And the walls are going to come down as a result of it. And that's what he's reminding them of. Remember? Remember when God did that? When you walked into Jericho, the citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The summary of all those ites is they were not welcoming people to the Israelites. They were all in the category of enemies wanting to wipe out the Israelites. So what is God saying there? Remember, who took care of all the ites? I took care of all the ites. I made sure you were protected and provided for. I gave them into your hands, he said. Verse 12, I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you, verse 13, here's the key sentence. So I gave you land on which you did not toil, cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So you're living in land you didn't really work for, ultimately, because God's the one who did all the work going before you. You're living in cities that you didn't build. You're eating from olive groves that you really didn't plant and harvest from. You know what that's a picture of? That's grace. The second kind of principle from his farewell speech is about grace. I worded it this way. Wisdom recognizes the everydayness of grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve to get. That's mercy. God goes beyond mercy and he gives you and I grace. You know what grace is? Grace is I'll give you what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And how many of you know God is an unbelievable, amazing source of grace? Is not the testimony of us being in his local church, in a worship service, witnessing baptism, singing this song, is it not a testimony of based upon our background and upbringing or knowing what we know about our own fallenness and struggles and sin, and that here we are, we get to be in God's house, with God's people, with his word, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, grace. Just like, it's just like Joshua reminded his people, hey, how about all the additives we could bring? Not only land we really didn't work for, huh? cities we really didn't build, olive groves we really didn't plant. You're harvesting out all of the grace of all of that. How about this? How about a Bible that Tyndale and Wycliffe gave their lives to that you get to hold in your hands? How about the Holy Spirit that at Pentecost Jesus sent? How about the gift of being a part of a local body of people, a gathering of believers in his name? How about the grace it is to wake up every day and have breath of life in our lungs and to stand under the waterfall of his grace for another day? He's a God of grace and it's all around us. And Joshua says this is wisdom. Don't lose sight of the fact that God's a starting point and don't lose sight of this fact. A big part of your life, 
you had nothing, nothing to do with. You're on the receiving end of grace. What did you have to say about where you were born into? The family, the nation, the city, the state, the country. Or how about the people God's inserted into your life? Even through brokenness and difficulty, how he's shown himself faithful. God says, just, hey, take a step back. Don't lose sight of this. I'm not just a God who's gonna withhold what you do deserve, which would be more judgment for our waywardness and fallenness. He says, I'm gonna give you what you don't deserve, which is grace. And God just keeps giving it over and over. Listen how Brenning Manning put it this way. Do you believe that the God of Jesus loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness? Do you believe that? Beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain, that he loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it, your whole being rejects it. Do you believe that God loves without condition or reservation and loves you this moment as you are and not as you should be? Do you believe that, church? Maybe that's the sole reason God brought you here today is just to hear this one very clear statement that regardless of how you are doing and who you are, God loves you, period. He loves you for who you are. He loves you not just for what you do. That's a difference now, right? There's a performance-based love that can come. And then there's the kind of unconditional love. He loves you regardless of the kind of week or month you've had. God loves you, and that's called grace. And so Joshua says, hey, wisdom, you make a choice. You make a choice on this. God's the great beginner. You start with him. And then secondly, you remember that the very air you and I breathe every moment of every day is a grace-saturated air. You didn't deserve it, and God did it anyway. And now thirdly, he moves in, he kind of presses the closing part of his farewell speech. Look at verse 14 and following. Here's where he kind of brings the message to a close. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, here's a common line. Some of you have this plaque on your home somewhere. As for me and my household, what? We will serve the Lord. So you see, he moves them now to three different choice points. The first choice point is you've got to start with God. Remember, God's this great starting point. And then you move to the second. Every, every breath you breathe is an air of grace. And then thirdly now, he, he moves them to this place of you make a decision about wholehearted devotion. Do you see there's a wholeheartedness that flows through life of wisdom? I know in my life, I struggle with the battle of being half-hearted, kind of on the fence, lack full commitment, all in and complete abandonment with the things of God. And Joshua's saying here, hey, you gotta settle some things. Do you notice he brought up the former gods, the gods that were of, of the former days? Did you see that, the gods of your forefathers beyond the river? Here's a couple images of those. It's Nana, the moon god, and Apis, the sacred bull. Those are the gods and goddesses they were bowing down and worshiping. And do you see what Joshua says? Hey, Nana and Apis had nothing to do with you living in the land you're living in, in the cities that you're building your home in, and the crops that you're feasting on. 
Nana and Apis had nothing to do with parting the Red Sea and driving out the ites and moving you through the wilderness and getting you through five deserts. Nana and Apis had nothing to do with that. Yahweh, King of kings, Lord of lords. He had everything to do with that. So you choose now. You see how he's setting before them? Choose you this day. You're gonna bow down to Nana and Apis or you're gonna stand up and be all in with Yahweh, King of kings and Lord of lords. So this is the key for a choice that leads to wisdom is there's a wholehearted nature to that choice. And I put Craig Barnes's quote on your notes, which I'll have to retrieve mine here to read it to you. So here's Craig Barnes's quote. I put it in your notes because I thought it was one of those that I know for me I'd like to come back to time and time again. It said, instead of worrying about finding the right road, we ought to be focused on the right river the one that creates new life. You don't travel a river like you do a road. Follow this now. You travel in it because the river is not passive like the road. It does all the work of carrying you to a new place, the right place. Do you ever get decision fatigue? Do you know what the average number of decisions you make a day is? It's kind of hard to estimate it, but the researchers say around 5,000 decisions a day. Parents, do you realize then, if you have preschoolers, you're probably doubling that. But the amount of decisions you're making, do you, do you know what, this is the condition that psychologists say you enter into at the end of a day. It's called decision fatigue. Do you ever get to the end of the day and say to those around you, you know what, I don't wanna make any more decisions today. No, I don't wanna make any more decisions about whatever it is. Internally, you struggle with it. This is, this is why monastic communities, the monks and the nuns who worship in kind of a cloistered community, this is why they often have a vow of silence after 7 p.m. They're done. They're not using any more words. So vow of silence, they're done with, their decision fatigue is ended at 7 p.m. by just no more words, no more decisions. This is why the grocery checkout line has filled with all those things at the grocery checkout line, all the candy. So all the moms and dads who are standing there, exhausted from little Johnny or Susie saying, what? I want, I want, I want, I want. Eventually you just say, well, oh, fine. This is why Amazon says when you click buy, it says, and those who bought that also bought this. Oh, they're so good at this, all just decision fatigue. Have you been there? Do you know that following Jesus is a very daily act? Being a disciple is very daily. It's very hourly that you make some choices. You just choose right now, I'm gonna go Jesus' way today, this hour, this week, I'm going Jesus' way. And I like what Craig Barnes says. It's much better to get preoccupied with have you kind of immersed yourself in the right river versus being preoccupied with, oh, Lord, am I on the wrong road or the right road? I think river's a much better metaphor. And you remember one of the favorite experiences of our sabbatical, for those of you who are around here when I was debriefing about our sabbatical, was our whitewater rafting trip. And we met a man on our whitewater rafting trip in the Arkansas River that I called him River Man. He was riverboarding the Arkansas River, which by the way, I got home a week after our whitewater rafting trip and I looked up some, I wanted to learn a few more details about Arkansas River and the Browns Canyon area that we floated. And the first headline that came up on my Google search was two people had died in that stretch of river the previous week. I thought, oh Lord, that wasn't a close choice of wisdom for the Simpson crew there. And I thought about, because the waters were running like that and river man, so we were in a massive raft. 
like one of those large, you know, rubber-sided, heavily inflated, strong ropes to hold on to. I mean, we were in one of those eight-person rafts, and it was challenged to get through the river. And then River Man was on a boogie board. That's what, a, have you ever riverboarded? I've never riverboarded before. But River Man followed us on our whole float, and it was just him on a boogie board with his fins and his flippers, and he just navigated the rapids like that. Now, I want you to think of Riverman. You need to think of a cross between Bear Grylls and Matthew McConaughey. Ladies, work with me now. Can you see? Some of you are like, yeah, I like the thought of that. Bear Grylls meets Matthew McConaughey. That's Riverman. He's like in his late 50s. He said he took 21 years to get his bachelor degree, and he's been living on the river ever since, and they call him a legend. And when I got to talk to the legend on the bus ride back to the camp, I said, hey, Riverman, they say you're a legend out here. And he kind of dismissed it. And then he used this line. He said, you know what the key to the whole navigating the river is? You just lean into the current. And that current will get you where you need to go. You know, 18 people were before us today and the waters of baptism, in a sense, become a statement, a declaration that these 18 lives are choosing to lean into the current of God's relentless and unconditional love. And it will get them where they need to go. And you know, that's just not reserved for those 18. That if we want to end up in a, in a destination that the Bible calls wisdom, do you know what I think a better preoccupation would be? What river, what river are you navigating these days? What's the current of the river you're driving? If you just run that river out, where's that river going to take you? I know this. I want to be strongly anchored in the current of God's unconditional grace and love that's relentless, and it's going to get me where I need to go. And I just got to learn how to lean into that current. I'm not the source of that current. If you ever try to paddle back against it, you'll find out how exhausted you'll be. Just lean into it and go with where God wants to take you. And Joshua closed his speech by setting up this massive rock. So here's the stone of Shechem. And he put this stone. You can go there today. I didn't get to see it on my trip, but you can go there today in Shechem. And he set that rock up, and here's what he told the community. Every time you look at that rock, here's what I want you to remember. Wisdom is about choices. And you're going to choose today to believe what? God's the great beginner from which everything gets its beginning. And you're going to choose today to believe that the very air you breathe is a grace-saturated air. And you're going to choose today to be wholehearted in your devotion. And if you make those choices, you're going to be gliding along in a river filled with the current of his unconditional love that'll get you where you need to be. When you look at the stone of Shechem, he said, that's what you're supposed to remember. A life of wisdom involves those choices and leaning in to that current. And that's available to anyone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a day like today that you remind us of how strong the currents of your love and grace run. No matter where we've gone and what we've drifted into and maybe we've gotten ourselves lodged against some other rock uh, that you come for us, you don't give up on us. 
Thank you for the lives we've been able to witness and celebrate with. Thank you for the reminder from your word about what it means to choose you this day whom you will serve. And collectively as a body, we say, hey, we will serve the Lord with our whole heart. We love you, we worship you, we trust you, we serve you. And now in just a moment, we give back to you a portion based upon what you've given us because you're an unbelievably generous God. And maybe there's someone here today and it's your decision point. Maybe you're sitting through today and you're like, you know what, maybe you've been on the fence, maybe it's been one foot in, one foot out, maybe it's been both feet out. You can just decide right now. You can just make a turn right now in your heart and say, you know what, I'm turned to you, Jesus. I'm gonna give my whole life to you. I'm gonna run towards you and you'll find his face has always been turned towards you. You can just make that decision to turn and say, Jesus, help me. I want to live a life of wisdom. I'm going to make this my personal stone of Shechem day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers are going to come.